we eventually want to see all of Second Street and First Street all shut down, just teeming with people and costume and activations and just a, a night full of fun. It's a crazy lofty goal, but that's something that I'd, I'd love to see happen. Now celebrating their fifth year, Honda Little Tokyo brings a month of programming to the iconic Little Tokyo in Los Angeles. Everything culminates in the annual block party, happening this Saturday night, actually. Coming up, we'll explore the roots that gave birth to Haunted Little Tokyo. Some of you might be thinking, wait, this isn't a haunted house. Well, you're right. But we talk a lot about finding partners and building communities to help make your haunt more successful. And community is at the core of Haunted Little Tokyo. Trust me, you'll see. From the Hauntraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is day 58 of our 61-day Hauntathon counting down to Halloween. Today is Thursday, October 28th, and there are three days until Halloween. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. And now, let's learn more about Haunted Little Tokyo. The block party usually happens on 2nd Street in between San Pedro and Central. We shut the entire street down and... That is James Choi. He is the owner of Cafe Dulce and is also on the Little Tokyo Community Council. Have an outdoor fully liquored bar. And then we have a stage and a costume competition and food trucks. And also a food tent where we encourage the different community restaurants to come out and host the tent. Last year, we didn't have one at all for obvious reasons because of COVID-19. This year, we were planning on doing a second street, but because of potential Delta and whatever else, we wanted to do something a little bit more controlled. So this year, instead of doing a full street closure, we have a secret location within Little Tokyo where if you RSVP online, we'll reveal that location to you. We will have a full bar there as well. It'll be 21 and over. There will also be a costume competition and a limited food trucks so we encourage people to eat in the community and then come over and party with us it'll be fully lit and lots of rentals and a lot of lights and cool things going on let's talk about the evolution of the event it started in 2017 where you mm -hmm. and michael from the wolf and crane bar got together to put together this first event and it's really grassroots and small business driven and the reason why that is is because as a small business owner we opened in 2011 and starting a couple years in we all, I always noticed that September and October were dead, super slow in the community. And so we were thinking about different events and holidays to do things around. And then we realized Japanese horror movies are some of the scariest movies known to mankind. So we said Halloween lends itself perfectly to like a haunted little Tokyo. And that's where that was born. So this idea was thrown around for a couple of years. And then we were outside hanging out, myself, Matthew, and Michael from Wolf and Crane, and they love Halloween. They throw Halloween parties. Like, Dude, let's do it. And so I said, "Can we? Let's try and shut down Second Street." First time shutting it off City Street. First time doing it, and we were able to pull it off year one when we said that we we're going to do it. And so that was the evolution of how Haunted Little Tokyo became. And instead of just doing one block party, which brings a lot of people from surrounding neighborhoods to Little Tokyo for one night, let's bring people to the community as much as possible. So. Uh, year one, we bit off a lot more than we could chew. We actually, and we did pull it off, but it was just, everyone was dying. So we did a pumpkin patch every single weekend of October, where again, that was in partnership with Tanaka Farms and there was pumpkin painting and what have you. And then every single Friday, we also screened a different Japanese horror movie 
or something related to the community. I think we did Prince of Darkness because I was shot at the Union Church, which has been a, a staple community building, very historic to our neighborhood. The other thing was we started Honolulu, Tokyo, and then if there was anything else that was going on, we would also just help promote it as、mm. a part of the community. We said, hey, we have the Honolulu, Tokyo with the umbrella. If you're doing a ghost tour, anything related to Halloween, let us know and we'll put it on our calendar. If it's something the Little Tokyo Historical Society is doing, and then you all just、uh, help promote it. So it's not necessarily、right. billed as something that is、uh, part of the Honolulu Tokyo programming, but it is something that is related and therefore you promote it. Yes. We work closely on what dates that they want to do it. Obviously,、yeah. we need to know how they're promoting it. And then we try and have all that feed into some sort of a hey, come to Little Tokyo for Halloween, and we've got a block party coming up. Yes. And in 2020, you did a pumpkin patch for two days and you did some the scavenger hunt and trick or treating. We created these six foot slides and decorated them so that we could slide candy from six feet away down the slide into somebody's candy bag. And if you visited all the different locations, then you got a chance to spin the wheel and get gift cards to restaurants in the, in the neighborhood. So it sounds like the basic structure has stayed the same since 2017, and this is the fifth year, but the basic structure has stayed the same. And you found a way to make the scavenger hunt work even during COVID, basically. Yeah, yeah. The only thing is, we didn't have a, a large block party、yeah. uh, last year for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. In the 2018 article, you said the more people come to Little Tokyo, the better we'll do, and the better the neighborhood will do. All ships、mm-hmm. rise in a rising tide. Is that still the, the premise behind why you think the event is important? The reason why I think Haunted Little Tokyo is so important, or any event that really brings people to the community is important, is I've said this a lot all boats rise in a rising tide. Everyone will do better, and everyone h a v e a chance of doing better if more people are in the area. You know, we're competing with other neighborhoods for people to come and, and be in the neighborhood. So the more reasons we give them to come to Little Tokyo, the better we'll do. And the more reasons we'll keep, get people to come to Little Tokyo, The more incorporated it will be in, in somebody's life. During the block party, we see parents with kids that are dressed up and kids are dancing on the stage and what have you. Hopefully, that's a memory that they have. And as they grow older, they'll always want to come back to a place that they have fond memories of. I couldn't tell you what the exact ROI is on my time spent on helping create these events. And it's a ton of time that we put into these things. But the one thing that I do know is if the community succeeds, then the better chance that we'll have at succeeding. If nobody's coming to the community, we have no chance of somebody walking through our door. That's the driving, I guess that's one of the more important driving factors of why we do events like this and why Haunted is important to us. You have the American culture, you have the Japanese culture, you have what you're expected to represent as Little Tokyo. How do you navigate all of those? So, having been in Little Tokyo for 10 years, Through Cafe Dulce. My experience with the different community members and the different businesses and other people that I talk to and get to interact with and have life with, Little Tokyo was never meant to be a Disneyland of what Tokyo is in Japan. It's never meant to be a smaller version of Tokyo in Japan. Me coming in as a non Japanese American, I'm Korean American. All they've cared about is that I care about the neighborhood and the community and my neighbor, and which is why they asked me to join the Little Tokyo Community Council. And I've been able to serve on that board for a better part of five, six years now. When it comes to like preserving Little Tokyo, it's not trying to preserve Japanese artifact and stuff like that, but really trying to preserve 
what's made our community special. The legacy businesses within Little Tokyo that are special and specific to us and the cultural institutions that are specific to Little Tokyo of Los Angeles. And, and really it's like that, like walking through the neighborhood and saying hello to your neighbors and, and your fellow business, small business owner and nonprofit and people that work in the nonprofits and others that work in the neighborhood too. In that sense that the Halloween thing, it just never felt culturally awkward to be doing Halloween in Little Tokyo. It's like we're very much a, an Asian American part of town. Let's talk a tiny bit now about you uh, coming to the community. You know, of course, you run uh, Cafe Dulce. Your mother was the one that started it and yep. roped you in when she lost her original partner and didn't yep. know anything about it, but you applied your same uh, dogma that you did to becoming a semi-pro golfing <laughs> athlete to creating it. And in 2013, she passed. And since then, it's been you. And uh -huh. then we can draw a direct timeline between 2013 and then 2017, we start on uh, uh -huh. Little Tokyo. About sums it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, I'm very impressed. That's crazy. Where did you find all that stuff? We do um, a lot of research. There's transformation here at all these. So I want to know, what do you see the cafe as now? You know, 2021. Oh, I see. I guess going back, like, I was brought on before we even opened the door. So the visioning and all that happened with my mother. And she always leaned on on, on me. I was much younger back then. And, and so she always leaned on me in terms of, hey, what's trending? Like, what should we do? What's popular? What do the kids like? And so we we started off, we were supposed to sell macaroons because macaroons were going crazy back then. And I was like, my accounting background, I was like, dude, this doesn't make sense. And and she wanted to be a Diddy Rees copycat. So like ice cream sandwiches, I was like, how many ice cream sandwiches you got to sell to, to make rent? That didn't make sense. So we always knew we wanted to have a cool coffee program. And so we we didn't know what that meant back then, but that was the beginning of specialty coffee in Los Angeles. And so we said, hey, whatever it means, we want to have an excellent co coffee program. We want to always work with great coffee roasters and maybe one day get into roasting ourselves. But we really want to do what the specialty coffee people are doing. And that's really evolved. And I've been able to learn a lot through that. We consider ourselves a gateway to specialty coffee. Back in 2011, when we first opened, specialty coffee meant you didn't serve sugar with your coffee. It was like, never had a sweet drink. And you fast forward to today, especially coffee is pretty, pretty ubiquitous. So how many different ways can you do espresso, macchiato, cappuccino, and latte and cold brew? So now every specialty coffee store has their own signature beverage. They have sweet ingredients and other different signature beverages that highlight things. And we've done that since day one, because in order to give us the best chance of succeeding, we needed to appeal to a broader audience. So we've always done a Hong Kong style milk tea or Vietnamese style iced coffee. We do our dulce latte, which is a sweetened drink, not just a pure coffee and milk. So that's always driven our identity within coffee. And then when it comes to the pastries and stuff, we've never meant to be a donut shop or anything else. We just want to make things that paired well with coffee and our donuts became popular because we were doing Asian donuts with a Western touch to them, if you will. But the thing that I think has changed, and I really credit this to Little Tokyo affecting my culture. And, and I, I, I always say this, I'm so happy that our first location landed in Little Tokyo because it fundamentally changed the way I view how a small business should operate within a community or a neighborhood. And I I work with Kristen to this day. She's she's the managing 
director, I don't know what her official title is, of Little Tokyo Community Council, the place that I serve on the board of. And her and three other three other friends came into our store one evening and was like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. And we just want to see if there's anything we could help with. And I asked them what they do. And they had started a little nonprofit called LT Roots, which their whole goal was to bring as many people to Little Tokyo as possible. And as a small business owner looking around the empty neighborhood, I was like, that's a cause I can get behind. You know, my relationship started there. I was like, whatever you guys need, let me know. I have leftover pastries every night. You guys need them for an event? Take them all. You guys need coffee for an event? We'll make you coffee. And my saying yes to small things there developed trust with the community. And then I trusted the community in terms of getting to know people and saying hi. And I saw them coming and patronizing our business and supporting us more. And now, 10 years in, I can't imagine running a business without being as involved in the community as we are in Little Tokyo. And, you know, it's hard to do it at every single location. Little Tokyo is pretty special because so much of the community is right there and it's very dense and everybody actively supports each other. But any, all of our other locations too, if they're doing something and they, they want participation or they want us to honor a promo or whatever else, we're always saying yes just so that we have a good relationship with the landlords and the, and, and, and our neighboring partners and tenants and stuff like that. That's how I feel like it's kind of changed us. And, and really it's not us that went into the community and we're impacting the community as much as they have impacted us and, and informed us on how we, we could be a good neighbor. So the community has become something that you can throw yourself into. Yeah, for sure. Your mom wanted you to find something that you could excel at by throwing yourself into it. Do you think you found that with the community? It didn't matter what I was doing. She wanted me to be the best at it or whatever. And, you know, I think that's kind of cliche. You know, everyone says, oh, we want you to be the best at whatever. But she really believed that I should be the best at anything that I was doing. Always been busy since I was a child. And I think when it came to business too, she she always thought we could be doing better. And surprisingly, I think fast forward, we're doing better than I think she would have even thought that we would have done. And yeah, I mean, for better or worse, I guess this is my calling in terms of running Cafe Dulce, or I consider myself in the hospitality industry now, where we're really serving people and, and developing relationships. And that's how I try to view anybody that we work with, including all of our staff and employees. I often, when I coach them in terms of trying to get better at things, I always say, hey, this isn't just for you to do a better job here while you're an employee of Cafe Dulce, this applies to the rest of your life. Whatever other job you have, you're going to be working with other people. This feedback that I'm giving you, it's it's applicable to anything else that you do. And that's how my mom always taught me. There's a funny quick story. One of our managers, who's a manager today, back then he was a new hire. He was stamping bags and really slow, seemingly really slow. He argues that he was trying to make it really nice. But she walked up to him and she goes, if you stamp bags like that, how do you think you're going to do anything else in life? Um, it's it's ridiculous but there's a grain of truth to that too how you do anything is how you do everything and that's something that i try to live my life by it's it's pretty hard and it's tiring but that's kind of how we try and operate in the community as well Mm -hmm. despite you having reservations when your mom first wanted to uh, open the (laughs) coffee shop after her chocolate shop yeah for sure i was like (laughs) do not do this (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I want to summarize. Do you think it is correct to say that your attitude of 
throwing yourself into the community and saying yes repeatedly is the direct bridge which what led you to Honolulu, Tokyo. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so Nancy, who's who's Nancy Yap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nancy Yap, who's one of the primary organizers of Honolulu, Tokyo. She always talks about how the reason why people like even support us when we say we want to do outlandish things like close down Second Street and throw a block party is because we've said yes and followed through on so many things before. And so that trust, you know, going back to, to the uh, conversation earlier, but like that trust was built and, and trust doesn't, you know, just magically appear overnight. It's the little things that you've said yes to and you came follow through on or said no to and stood your ground on that too. And, and so, yeah, all those things that we did earlier with different events and people understanding that, hey, you know, when James says he's going to come out with the dessert cart, he'll do it. When he says he's going to come out with an espresso machine, hey, he pulled it off. And we got involved with a little Tokyo before we were before I was on the board. And we did a public latte art throwdown. So all these different things that we were able to prove that, hey, we can get organized and create a plan and actually execute on it. I think that's definitely why when we said we were going to do this, even people that you know, decided to help me. You're not going to help someone that you don't think is going to actually follow through on what they say that they're going to do. So all the help and the volunteers and the people that got involved, it was all because we had already done things together. Because we did Haunted Little Tokyo, we were able to do Community Feeding Community. Community Feeding Community Program provides meals to in-need hospitality and service workers. Yeah. Your nonprofit that you launched last year, right? You and Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. And then we basically house it under LTCC. And basically, because we had worked on other things together, it, also with Kristen, that relationship was all, all already there. So within a week, we came up with an idea and we were able to create something and then start community from community. And that was because we didn't have to build the relationships and we didn't have to build the trust of, hey, if you say you're going to do X, then you're going to actually do X. But I think one of the coolest things we saw was emotionally people we're just grateful and coming out and saying hi. It was twice a week that people knew that this was going on. And it was really quite a beautiful thing. The last thing I want to touch on is really just a quick soundbite on the future, where you see the future of little of Honda Little Tokyo and events like this. So one thing we'd like Honda Little Tokyo to become is is an event that's well funded and, and sponsored by other organizations or larger companies. And the reason why we want to sponsor this is so that we can create something that's pretty large and amazing. Part of the big goal is to raise funds through Haunted Little Tokyo so that we can do other community things. So one thing that I would love to do is help fund Go Little Tokyo, which is a program run through LT, Little Tokyo Community Council, born out of the relationship with Metro during construction and mitigation uh, efforts. And so Go Little Tokyo's funding is coming to an end. And so we're really trying to see how do we keep that going? Because it was really vital to Little Tokyo during COVID-19 and also just even outside of COVID. It, what community has a marketing arm that's as polished and as integrated and active in the community? So yeah, that's the financial goals of Ponce Little Tokyo. In terms of just from a pure event standpoint, we really wanted to create a Halloween event that was just as big as the one that happens in West Hollywood. But this one is a little bit more family friendly and a little more community oriented. We eventually want to see all of Second Street and First Street all shut down, everything from JCCC all the way up to Japanese American National Museum, just teeming with people and costume and 
activations and just a, a night full of fun. It's a crazy lofty goal, but that's something that I'd, I'd love to see happen. Today's episode was produced by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Stay up to date this season with our free weekly newsletter. Sign up at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts in our 61-day Hauntathon. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. We'll see you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.